Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Is the U.S. strategy on countering corruption something new? Is it a big deal? Tom and Matt debate on this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome to Compliance Into the Weeds. Tom and Matt really go into the weeds on the recently released U.S. strategy on countering corruption, looking at what it might mean for the domestic compliance professional, as well as those outside the United States. We take a look at how it supplements and expands on existing rules, regulations, policies, and procedures, and creates new data points for analysis. Also, what's the role of whistleblowers and a very big issue regarding China. I'll know you'll enjoy this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we're going to go into the weeds on the United States strategy on countering corruption. So, Matt, this was released last week. It was promised by the Biden administration last June, and they have delivered on their promise to deliver us a document. Uh, Can you... uh, Kind of set the stage for our audience on what this document is. Yeah, sure. So uh, this is an encapsulation of what the Biden administration in its entirety, what it wants to do to push more anti-corruption enforcement across a variety of fronts. Uh, It's about 38 pages long. And any compliance officer, I'm sure, could sit down, read it. It is not a dense technical thing by any measure. Um, Basically, it is grouped or organized according to five major pillars of anti-corruption that the administration wants to hit. Um, Modernizing global efforts or U.S. efforts to fight corruption, curbing illicit finance, holding corrupt actors accountable, preserving and strengthening multilateral anti-corruption organizations, improving diplomatic engagement, leveraging foreign foreign assistance resources. So those are the five big pillars. Um, Within each pillar are probably more nitty-gritty stuff that most compliance officers would want to dig into. Um, They are strategic objectives. Some pillars have more strategic objectives than others. And then even further into the document, Uh, After the description of each pillar and its uh, attendant strategic objectives, there are a few examples of specific things that the administration either has been doing or will be doing soon to push that pillar. Uh, So that's what it looks like in total. Um, Tom, I am of mixed views here that I am glad the document exists because it is a nice affirmative flag to plant that we take anti-corruption seriously. That's great. On the other hand, for compliance professionals who have spent a lot of time with anti-corruption and understand the policies that the government has had for a while, the activities that it's been talking about or been doing, you know, a lot of what's in here is not new. It is just new that it's all been shoehorned into one master document. 
but um, you know, creating a database of true beneficial owners of shell companies. Well, that would be happening regardless of this document because it's required by law with the Anti-Money Laundering Act that was passed roughly 12 months ago. Um, more enforcement of anti-corruption, I am all for that. Also, that would still be happening under the Biden administration, regardless of this uh, strategy document. So I am not sure exactly how significant it is in detail, although I suppose as a good thing to have, it's a good thing to have. And that's where I come down on it. So, man, I actually uh, I think it's uh, several steps past uh, just a good thing to have, although I do agree with you. It's a good thing to have. And uh, I sketched out some of the things that I thought uh, were significant. You mentioned the data collection in terms of or in the form of information on UBOs and perhaps others involved in illicit financing. But I saw a lot of other um, new areas where data would be collected, um, first of all, really on different types of corruption in different geographic regions and different uh, industries. That information, I think, is is all available in disparate sources, but now the government's going to put that all sort of in, in one pot of information. And that the, for the compliance mm-hmm. practitioner, I think the documentation of evidence of bribery and corruption or demands for bribery and corruption are going to become uh, more important in turning that over uh, to the government. There's going to be more uh, data analytics by a much wider uh, group within the a U.S. government, uh, the Department of Treasury, the USAID, um, other groups were specifically named uh, in the strategy document uh, that are going to work towards this. Um, for those outside the United States, I think this is very significant because it's an affirmative statement uh, in a much more breadth and scope of how the U.S. will work with foreign governments. Uh, certainly, we've had commentary in the past by the U.S. that they'll work with foreign prosecutors. But now uh, the U.S. government says they will work with a variety of non-governmental and private sector actors, um, both to understand the types of corruption and try to put compliance architecture in place in addition to the uh, enforcement side, where they'll continue to work with prosecutors and investigators to uncover corruption. And then when possible, try to prosecute those who've been the beneficiary of having bribes paid them. They're going to try and winnow out the uh, different locations of uh, money laundering, but also where uh, cash is parked. So whether that cash be parked in real estate, whether that cash be parked in art uh, or other assets, even in private equity that typically have lots of cash infusions. I think that's new. There's there's one I would point out that I think would be near and dear to your heart, which is uh, the document specifically calls out journalists and journalism as a way to bring forward information on um, bribery and corruption issues, specifically the Panama Papers, Paradise Papers, Panorama Papers, all contributed to Uh, at least the underlying themes in this document, and also called out for worldwide protection of whistleblowers. And that's something that seems to be moving in that direction uh, with uh, the United States uh, in the um, National Defense Authorization Act 
But uh, December 17th, that's uh, three days from this recording date, the EU whistleblower directive will go into force, uh, which will be the strongest whistleblower protection uh, regime, I think, uh, internationally. And the U.S. is going to work towards not only garnering whistleblower information internationally, but also uh, protecting whistleblowers internationally. I would expect to see uh, at least introduction of new legislation uh, from the United States to prosecute those who receive bribes. And uh, uh, there was a specific section which called out um, government contracting as an area which has been, uh, we've seen uh, perhaps not as much bribery and corruption, but certainly fraud in procurement, PPE, PPE, uh, but it also said in the defense sector. And it's uh, the Department of Defense will be looking very closely at that, uh, really around FCA claims uh, as well, and use actually use debarment uh, more frequently. So I guess I saw a lot more uh, meat in here. And I thought I think that for the compliance practitioner, not only is the increase or the focus on compliance architecture or anti-bribery, anti-corruption compliance architecture uh, going to be increased in importance, but there's going to be uh, within the UN's overall mandate and the OECD's overall mandate on anti-bribery, anti-corruption, I think uh, more analysis of what actually works uh, in compliance programs, not that that's rocket science or hidden uh, formulas, but try to really provide best practices literally across the globe. Uh, and finally, if I could circle back to where you started, uh, as a nice to have, as an affirmative statement, I think it's incredibly important to have the U.S. government saying this is a priority of ours. Certainly, it's very different from the prior administration. And with this in place for several years, hopefully it will not be something that can be um, walked back. Uh, if a new administration comes into place down the road. You know, I have a couple of thoughts there. And of course, first, thank you for noting that the document does call out the importance of journalists, although we didn't get our own pillar, but okay, whatever, moving on. Um, I, I do think that the existence of this strategy is probably more important to people outside the United States than maybe inside the United States, because if we're really talking about supporting uh, international efforts for anti-corruption and maybe providing valuable resources and educational materials and other sorts of support for other anti-corruption agencies and law enforcement around the world, well, presumably at some point, those other nations will then start to step up their own anti-corruption game, which is good. Uh, but if you are a large global company, that means there are going to be more anti-corruption enforcement efforts overseas that you will have to be thinking about. Um, but, you know, I'm still going to stand my ground that a lot of what is in the document had already been in motion. So you made reference to cracking down on sketchy dealings in art or real estate um, or in procurement fraud and government contracting. The art guidance was already published many months ago this year. The procurement strike force, the Justice Department announced that at the end of 2019. Um, so there's a lot here that had already been happening. I am still glad that you know they brought it all together. And Tom, I did think two other points. Number one, uh, it is interesting to see what specific new legislation would the administration be pushing here? Because new legislation 
that is a big deal because that suddenly will create new burdens, new types of liability that had not necessarily existed before, and now they will. And the only significant piece of new legislation I saw is that they will be supporting the Foreign Extortion Prevention Act, which is a bill floating around in Congress to criminalize foreign officials soliciting bribes uh, from U.S. companies. And I think that's very good because for so long, we haven't actually held these shakedown artists overseas accountable. We've just held accountable the companies that are paying the bribes. Uh, I am glad to see that. But as a counterpoint to, is this a big deal? Well, you also mentioned the National Defense Authorization Act, which was just approved by Congress last week and had numerous new anti-kleptocracy measures that were going to be included in the bill. They got cut by, I think, primarily Senate Democrats in the Biden administration who threw that stuff over the side. But they had an opportunity to go even further with legislation, which is, a, like I said, that is a much bigger deal than just what any administration would be proposing. And they didn't go that far. They let the NDAA stuff kind of go, and maybe they'll get back to it later on. I don't know. Um, but, Tom, the last point that I think you brought up that is very important, and I'm glad that you did, was the talk about institutionalizing, and that is the word the strategy document uses, institutionalizing this anti-corruption push for the long term, clearly trying to get ahead of any Republican administration or, God forbid, if Donald Trump ever returned to power, um, you know, the anti-corruption enforcement is going to go right out the window, as it largely did in 20 in his first term. But if there's ever a second Trump term, um, I can see a lot of what we're talking about would suddenly get put on ice so how can we institutionalize that to make sure it can weather any sort of Trumpian storm that may return to America again? We've done very well with that, with FCPA enforcement, which is one exception, because there was still good anti-FCPA enforcement throughout the Trump administration. That's been institutionalized. Can we do that for money laundering, real estate deals, uh, shady art deals, uh, tracking suspicious payments around the world, which they also want to do because that is a national security concern on cryptocurrency and cybersecurity, not just the goodness of anti-corruption. But I do think institutionalizing for the long term, that is going to be a big goal, and I do hope that that works. And um, that's that's some of the other dimensions here that I think we should consider. We'll be right back with more Compliance into the Weeds after a message from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. or attempts to bring in other international agencies such as the G7 and the G20. And I guess my thought there is that if if this is going to really spread out and become part of the fabric 
of not simply Western governments, but uh, all, a wide variety of international agencies yeah. who do either dole out money or oversee money that has been doled out. Uh, this could be a, a way to institutionalize this, I think is the word you used, literally across the globe. And to have this kind of concerted effort uh, may be the lasting uh, significance of this going forward, Matt. Tom, can I raise one other red flag, so to speak, about anti-corruption at the moment? So the other red flag is literally the red flag of China, uh, because they just apparently have adopted a new anti-corruption regime where they are going to be keeping a blacklist of overseas companies, which overseas companies to them is U.S. companies to us. They're going to be keeping a blacklist of companies that are investigated for and settle for paying bribes to Chinese government officials. Um, and that raises some very interesting questions about if a U.S. company settles an FCPA incident here for bribery that happened in China, then China is basically going to go to the public affairs department page of the Justice Department, download the deferred prosecution agreement from the Justice Department or the settlement from the SEC, and take all of those facts and then start re-prosecuting this whole case against the U.S. company all over again. Um I do think that since you talked about reaching out beyond U.S. borders, I think we're do- doing quite well building an anti-corruption coalition with the European Union, with Canada, with Australia, probably with some other Western nations, including um, Britain and Japan, maybe less so Japan. I'm not really sure how vigorously they enforce anti-corruption law. Um, but the big issue here is going to be how does China respond to anti-corruption? Because, frankly, I think that they will use that as an opportunity to squeeze companies uh, on various other concerns they have. And if you don't want a big, nasty anti-corruption prosecution out of Beijing, you're going to have to concede other things that you would not normally do. I do think that's going to be a big issue with anti-corruption globally. And I don't know what the right answer is, but... Uh, just because China says that it has a strong anti-corruption policy or whatever, uh, I don't think that's true at all. I think it's just that they're going to pick up one more club that they're going to use to beat Western companies to pursue their various national security interests. And that's another point that people are going to have to think about. It's not directly related to the anti-corruption strategy we started with here, but it came out roughly about, I don't know, three three or four weeks before this strategy document from the Biden administration. It's just a good example of how many bowling pins you're going to have to juggle to run a global anti-corruption program in the future. So China has actually been threatening that since 2013 and 2014 with the GSK prosecution of corruption, uh, corruption in China by a Western company, a UK pharmaceutical company, GlaxoSmithKline, under Chinese law. And the threat of that has been on the table since then. It's really not been utilized. I think the Chinese will use it as they use all things, uh, whatever they determine their uh, self-interest is. But it points to, uh, I would hope, companies understanding that doubling down on your compliance program in China is even more important now because if the Chinese either get wind of corruption and can prosecute you under their own laws or do as you suggest, go to the Department of Justice website and download a deferred prosecution agreement 
or some facts that allows them to do so, uh, you could literally be in a world of hurt in China, whether that be a world of hurt in terms of a civil penalty, whether that be in terms of a criminal prosecution against uh, your executive team in China, or whether it be uh, a trade-off for some other concession. So uh, to me, that message is uh, don't engage in bribery and corruption in China, uh, because if you do, the consequences (laughs) can be quite severe, and the Chinese government has made that clear uh, since GlaxoSmithKline, even if uh, Western companies seem to have forgotten that lesson. The, the reason it's on the radar right now is apparently the China Daily, that is the name of the English-language version of you know the, the mouthpiece for the People's Communist Party of China, they not long ago published a statement that there are now new anti-corruption enforcement principles, which, by the way, are not public. They are secret principles, which, of course, nothing says anti-corruption like a set of secret principles. But anyways, uh, they now have some secret principles. They did the China Daily statement, article, whatever you want to call it. Um, They did say now they use the word blacklist and they used it correctly as Western English speaking people would interpret the term. Like, yeah, there's going to be a blacklist. There maybe is a blacklist. Maybe you're on it. Who knows? Um, But, you know, I We'll be curious to see how the Western Anti-Corruption Coalition approaches China and maybe even to a lesser extent some of the other corrupt nations such as Russia or parts of the Middle East or whatnot. Um, like for real, how seriously are we going to take any anti-corruption outbursts or platitudes or statements from any of those countries um, as we're trying to build up more anti-corruption systems, alliances, and capabilities globally. It's a good idea, but I don't necessarily know that it's going to be easy once you get beyond Europe and other sort of Western G7 nations. I'm I'm not sure how that's going to go. Well, I guess uh, maybe we can continue to watch this and uh, see where this may lead down the road, Matt. All right, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I'm going to link to Matt's blog post in our show notes, so check that out for additional information. I'd also like to tell you about the latest edition of the Compliance Podcast Network, Design Thinking in Compliance, where with my co-host Karsten Tams, we take a look at the social engineering tool of design thinking and how it can create greater efficiency and effectiveness in your compliance program. So check out Design Thinking in Compliance. It posts every other Wednesday. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.